0: Guns are not violence. Guns are a tool that is utilized by people who want to commit violence. What would make America safer? 99% of America
1: who has license to carry or 99% of America who doesn't own a,
0: a single gun? In New Jersey, you have a woman by the name of Carabone. She was stabbed to death by her ex-boyfriend and he was a felon. She knew he was going to try to kill her one day. And so she submitted her paperwork in order to get the license and she was stabbed in the driveway of her own home. This woman actually called in. I'm just checking on the status of my license in order for me to go buy a gun. When the time came and her ex boyfriend showed up to stab at her to death, she was in a position no longer to defend herself at that point.
1: Weapons have changed in the last 10, 20, 30 years. Let's go to worst case scenario. Beto Aurora, he's in charge and he confiscates everything away from you. What's mm-hmm. the worst thing they can do to us?
0: I don't know. Ask China.
1: Ask China. Ask China. Ask- Ask China. Ask China. So if you love guns or if you hate guns, you probably know my guest today. His name is Koleon Knorr. Now, he is an American gun activist. He's a lawyer, former lawyer. He's got a YouTube channel with a few million subscribers and a quarter of a billion views. He's faced off Bill Maher. He's been all over the place. People love him, hate him, but they get educated by him every time he talks about guns. With that being said, my guest today, Noor, thank you so much for being a guest on
0: Oh, Thanks for having me,
1: Patrick. So I got to tell you, man, you're very necessary today. You are very necessary today because uh, so many people who uh, sit there and they have a certain image or understanding of guns, then you come out and educate them and you give the different perspectives. You get people thinking. And I think that's uh, very necessary today, especially someone like you, your background being a lawyer. So you don't just love guns. You're a lawyer. You know how to make a good argument, make a good case. You're bulletproof a little bit, if you to <laughs> kind of say that. But let's get right into it. So right. t- tell us how, where your passion came for guns. Now, I know this story, but if the audience doesn't know your story, how did you get so passionate about guns?
0: So it's it's a really simple story, sometimes to the point where some people think it's fake. But essentially, I had a good friend of mine who randomly one day said, yo, I'm going to go to the gun range, and do you want to come? And keep in mind, at this point, I'm about... 23, 24, maybe a little bit younger, never touched a gun, never shot a gun, never had a gun in the house, never raised with guns. For me, the, the notion of owning a firearm was relegated to only cops, um, people in authority. And But as a young black kid, if I had a gun, automatically that, I must have been in a gang or some sort. So I kind of, I wanted to do everything to kind of fight that narrative and that image. So I never really did anything with respect to firearms and look into them or anything. So when my friend of mine, who I didn't even know had a gun, um, asked me if I wanted to go to the gun range with them. Initially, I was a little scared. I'll be honest and say that. I was like, ah, I don't know. Um, but then there was an aspect of me that was kind of like, you know, stop being so close minded. Just go ahead and try it. Um, At worst, if you don't like it, you don't do it again. Mm-hmm. And so I, I decided to go. Um, I went and I remember very, very vividly. I walk in to the gun range it was in Houston, Texas, a place called Top Gun. And I remember walking in and hearing the initial gunshots, because somebody had opened the other door to where the people were shooting. And so I could hear the pop, 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 and I'm like, ooh, okay, this is real. (laughs) Um, And so now, and I remember vividly thinking, man, I'm in a place where everybody has a gun and at any given point they can decide that they just wanna kill me. That was the mindset. It was a very kind of, I, I wanna say juvenile, but a very kind of simplistic mindset with respect to firearm ownership and people. And so we get up to the counter, um, we fill out all the paperwork and do what we need to do. Go to the lane. I remember going to the very last lane on the left-hand side. Um, and so I remember him pulling out a gun. It was a Taurus Millennial PT-1000, I think. It was a, uh, a subcompact gun chambered in 40 Smith & Wesson, which anybody who knows anything about calibers, 40, Forty Smith & Wesson in that size of a gun, is it's gonna have substantial recoil to it. So I um, remember he, he gave me kind of a real quick down and dirty understanding of how to manipulate and operate the gun. I wasn't an idiot, so I was able to kind of figure it, you know, get that short lesson and then be able to do it myself. Um, and I remember picking up the gun, I remember extending out, pulling the trigger and the gun going off and being completely and utterly terrified. I'm like, what just happened? And it happened so fast. For whatever reason, I decided to do it again. And it was that second time that I shot the gun. I guess because I understood what was about to happen. And now I was able to actually experience the moment instead of just being put in the moment. Um, And I fell in love instantly with that second shot. And I remember I went through a number of rounds that, that trip, but then immediately after that, I mean, I went down a rabbit hole of and, you know, I recently watched the video where you talked about researching. And man, when I tell you, <laughs> I felt deep inside that hole. I mean, and, and the fascination was more so from a uh, a love affair with the mechanics of the firearm. You know, I'm a big car guy. And so for me there was a there was an immediate relationship there that that created a fascination that I kind of almost pulled from the car aspect of my my love affair with cars mm-hmm. and I mean I was on YouTube watching video after video after video after video magazine articles articles online it was this was kind of an age where like blogs were really really big so reading all the blog posts that I can a- amassing all of this information that I didn't even realize I was amassing. Um, And then at the same time, I was going back to the gun range over as many times as possible. And at this point, I was just getting into my law school career as well. So any downtime I had, I mean, I was going to the gun range or learning about guns a lot of times, sitting in class while the teacher was, (laughs) while the professor was teaching, uh, reading about guns to the slight horror of some of the people who sat behind me in class. But (laughs) nonetheless, um, At a certain point, I I thought I kind of reached the end of gun content on YouTube. I consumed so much Um, and I gotten a feel and a vibe for the way people made videos. And so for me, I kind of always been this guy who kind of floats between uh, having a very analytical brain, but then very being very kind of artsy fartsy in a lot of ways, um, being a creative. And so I thought, you know, I watch a ton of car videos. And I just got through consuming a ton of gun videos over Mm -hmm. a few years. And so I said, I want to start making my own videos. Not that the videos were bad that I was watching. It's just I wanted to create the videos I wanted to watch.
1: Now, at this point, you've never been a YouTuber. So you never had content you created in the past before.
0: Nope. Nope. Zero. And
1: you're not military. You're not former PD. You're not your family's not. And There is no lineage Mm -hmm. of that. Nope. In in a family, were you raised conservative? I know your your family's uh, from Nigeria. Were you raised conservative mm-hmm. or not really too political?
0: No, um it wasn't hyper political. I mean, I'm an only child. So a lot yeah. of the conversations, as an only child with people who have only children know and only children, you, you kind of grow up around adults. Um, so you grow up listening to their conversations. And so the vast majority of the the, the discourse that I've engaged in, or at least passively so by listening, well, you know, there were some political talks here and there, but um, from a political standpoint, I definitely wasn't conservative from a political uh, alignment standpoint. It was a a lot of the lessons that my mom taught me and raised me on were very much conservative. But when it came down to voting, it was always democratic. You know, you always vote Democrat. I know my mom probably to this day still votes Democrat. Um, so, but other than that, there wasn't an overt political um, component to my upbringing now.
1: Perfect. So at this point, mom votes Democrat, never been in military, no PD, no inspiration of somebody that taught you how to shoot guns. Friend takes you. You're 23 years old at the time. I'm doing the math. It's got to be 06, 07. Uh, Bush is president Mm -hmm. to put everything to perspective. When you're going to become a lawyer, what are you trying to do? Like, are you saying one day I want to be a criminal defense attorney? I'm going to be what kind of law were you pursuing?
0: So initially my whole thing was, I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney. That was my thing. Um, I I wanted to be an advocate. I wanted to be in the courtroom. I wanted to be trying cases. Um, As time went on, um, and I started doing some of that in terms of like some of the programs that I took on while I was in law school. Um, I joined a bunch of clinics that I did as well. And I was part of the mock trial program at my law school as well. Um, And until I met one of my other legal mentors. And from there, I started learning the um, personal injury side of things. And so I started working in his office and learning that side of it. And I took a liking to it. And so by and large, that was kind of the the the, the most of what I was doing with respect to the legal space. But, but I definitely wanted to be an advocate. And that's what initially when got me
1: into going into law school. Now, your friend, what does he do now? The friend that took you to the range the first time,
0: what business is he in? Oh, he's he's on the fashion side of it. He's on. He's, oh, he's he's not he's even in, in fashion. Way. Yeah. No, he's not. No. <laughs> wow. OK. Yeah. yeah. So he's so, high, so, he's he's in high fashion. <laughs> so.
1: So at what point did you get a call from NRA saying they want you to be one of their spokesperson, you know, and you became become the most prominent black commentator for a pro-gun NRA organization? When did that happen?
0: So that happened. I at this point. So the way my kind of, I guess, YouTube career, so to speak, kind of started or my content very much. So I started off by just doing gun reviews. That was my thing. I was on the the gun culture side of things from that perspective. And then we started getting some high profile at this point, Obama is now in office. And so we started getting some high profile shootings, some high profile mass shootings. Um, And I remember doing a video titled how to stop mass shootings. And in the video, I talk about how a lot of these shooters are looking to do these things based on recognition. And then the more we talk about them, the more that we say their names and the more that we sensationalize it, it, all it does is just motivates other people to continue to do the same thing. But then on top of that, having people in a position to combat the mass shooter, that pulls them out of the reality or the fantasy of them going out in a blaze of glory and killing a bunch of people instantly because now they're being confronted with somebody else with the firearm. And so it's not a free shoot anymore. So I did this video and this video went viral back in the days when hitting 100,000 was considered viral um and this video was doing a million and so that was just like nuts and so from that perspective um i remember there was some there was a lot of hype regarding that and then i I was getting a lot of phone calls a lot of people asked me to do interviews and talk about it and then i get a phone call from someone asking me um if i'd be interested in working with the nra now ironically at the time you know there was a lot of things were moving so fast and there there was so much involved in terms of the political side of this conversation, because up until then, I was just doing gun gun reviews. Like it didn't, it was just fun. Um, Now in the political world and I'm being, you know, I'm getting people leaving nasty comments, you know, people pushing back on my stance and stuff. So now I'm in the political dirty world of it. And so... Now I'm like I don't really know who to trust. I'm like, is anybody trying to set me up? And you know, I the person who called me, I tried to research them and look them up. Couldn't really figure out who the person was, whether how connected they were to the the NRA, so forth and so on. And so I was a little hesitant, and and I also I was aware of the organization, but I really hadn't done my due diligence. All the information I had about the organization was very surface level and very stereotypical. So. I was a little hesitant, especially being a young Black guy, you know, young and Black, especially during that time, was like the NRA was racist. That's, that's all you knew. You know, you don't do the NRA. It's a bunch of racist white people with guns. So um, initially hesitated and I said, you know what, let me, let me do my due diligence and do some research. And went did a deep sea dive once again, like I did with the gun stuff, and uh, did my research on the organization. And, and I felt comfortable with the organization, um, linking up with the organization, or at least seeing what they had to say. And so they flew me out to Dallas. Uh, went out to Dallas and met with the um, met with their at the time. I didn't didn't realize how the structure or the relationships work, but uh, I met with their ad agency on record, which was Ackerman McQueen. And so I remember expecting to walk into this kind of old stuffy building with, uh, you know, a bunch of old white guys telling me he's like, all right, do this. You know what I mean? Uh, So uh, but to my surprise, I felt more like I walked into a modern day version of Mad Men. And, and I mean that in the most positive really? way. Po- oh my God. Yes. Yes. Um, and I mean, that in the most positive way possible. I mean, I walked in and I mean, everyone was good looking. Everyone was relatively young. I mean, you're talking, It span the, span the, uh, the spectrum with respect to race. I mean, I was like, Whoa, you know, I was really taken aback. And so from there, um, we, they sat me down and they were like, look, all we want you to do is literally what you've been doing on your YouTube channel, on our platform." like they're like we don't want to tell you what to say we don't want to tell you what to do we just want you to create the same type of content that you were creating on your own and so i was like okay this is interesting because now um and it really started off with them saying you know we want to put together a series of about six videos i didn't realize that this at the time but they were kind of just testing me um and they're like we want to put together a series of like six to 12 videos and um Basically, you you put, you you put do it. Basically, they were just trying to see my productivity, like how I take to that. Um, ironically enough, this was also during a time where I was maybe a week or two away from taking a bar exam. <laughs> so <laughs> so this part, I know, right? Um, and so I was like, oh, man, this is, this is nuts, because anybody who knows anything about the bar exam, it's no joke. Um, but, whether or not it was a good idea to do it or not it could be debated since I took the bar exam probably three times. Um, So uh, I went ahead and put together these series of videos. I I put together all the scripts myself. Um, I now remember it specifically. They were going to take six of my old videos and put them Mm -hmm. together and put them out on their platform. And then they wanted me to come up with six videos on my own um, based on a series of topics. And so I said, cool. So I did that. I went and filmed it, knocked it out. Um, And I guess they liked what they saw and liked what they got. Um, And from there, that's when they pitched me to come on more full time in terms of doing those types of videos, but then also giving me my own show. And so I remember this time vividly because I remember this was when I really started getting some pushback. Um, This was when like the likes of, uh, God, I can't always have, I always forget his name, Um, uh, Russell Simmons. Mm-hmm. Russell, Russell Simmons, I remember very vividly. He's like, how could you as a young black man sign on with an NRA organization that touts this and snap? And I remember because this was I was in Virginia Beach. I was at a—I was at a bar. I was kind of sort of drunk. And um, I remember seeing this like, whoa, Russell Simmons is tweeting me. And this is this is someone who I kind of grew up with. I used to wear his brand and, you know, listen to his artists and things of that nature. So I'm like, OK, this is different. Um And I remember specifically taking the time out to say, "All right, I've been drinking. Be careful how you respond." And this is like at the the genesis of when Twitter kind of started. And so I went ahead and I responded. I think something to the degree of I didn't know, you know, me advocating, defending yourself uh, while utilizing the Second Amendment was a bad thing. And so then we kind of went back and forth. And if anybody googles me and his name, it'll it'll pop up the whole exchange. And what happened was interesting because. What ended up happening is people who followed Russell Simmons started telling him, like, look, I like you, Russ. I mess with you, Russ. But I also mess with what this guy is saying. Like, I agree with him on this issue. And somewhere between seeing starting to see that he kind of just backed off because I think he didn't really truly understand who I was. And I think he actually under he didn't really give me enough credit. Because I think he thought that they just found me on a street corner somewhere mm. and said, here's a hat, put it wrong on wrong
1: guy to mess with.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um I get that a lot, honestly. Um and I, well, that's I don't know, great
1: though. That's an edge yeah. though to have when, when people yeah. underestimate you. But by the way, who were you in high school? If I was sixteen years old with you in high school, who were you? I'm uh,
0: curious. I was a jock. <laughs> you were a jock. Were you an athlete?
1: Yeah. Were you the guy? I was an athlete.
0: I, I was I played I did it all. I did basketball, football, track, you name it. I did it all. Or I,
1: were you like no. a 4.0 GPA?
0: No. I was I was I was the intelligent kid who didn't take school seriously. Okay, got it. Um, and so for me, and I remember that during this time, all I wanted to do was play basketball. That was it. That was my love affair. I was like, I'm doing I'm going to the NBA, and nothing was gonna stop me. That was kind of the tenacity I I kind of have as yeah. a person. And so I mean, I was the guy, we'd go to practice and then after practice, I'd go to the gym, work out, come back, then get like a freshman or something, go back to the gym and, and do some more shooting and run more drills. That was me. And then wake up Saturday morning, be outside running drills, practicing, doing all that stuff. But my mom was always very diligent about telling me, she was like, look, son, I know you love basketball and I know you want to go to the NBA, but make sure you keep school number one because they can take a lot of things from you, but they can't take, take from you what's in here. Um. That's, yeah, very much so. Yeah. And so even though during high school, I didn't really put as much effort as I probably should have. And I may have just gotten by on base, whatever natural intelligence I had, um, there did come that time where I said, this is not happening, bro. <laughs> um, and, and I really but had to why be Why criminal
1: defense attorney though? Why criminal defense attorney? Like, where do you go from mm-hmm. athlete, you know, I think your dad's a, a chef or yeah, no, was, I don't yeah, he, he was, was a chef. He was an executive chef. chef. Yeah. How yeah. How do you go from that to criminal mm-hmm. defense attorney? Did somebody unfair situation that happened to a friend or a relative that got arrested that you wanted to fight for them?
0: I read Johnny Cochran's biography. <laughs> 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 OK,
1: there you go. That's all yep. you have to say. Simple. <laughs> so you read that and you
0: said, that's what I want to yep. do. Yep, exactly. Wow. Yep. And I remember the, Well, that's not when I decided to go to law school. Yeah, I just I, how I what type of lawyer I wanted to be was after reading Johnny Cockins' biography. But I was a sophomore. And so being Nigerian, you know, if it's if it's not if it's not doctor, pharmacist or lawyer or something like that, everything else degree-wise is trash to them. So I started off pre-med and when I was in undergrad and I hated it. I actually, I started off, yeah, I did pre-med and then I did pre farm and I was just like, I'm not a math and science guy. That's just not me. Um, So I decided to go poli-sci. And so I remember it was my sophomore year and, you know, mom's like, look, you got to be more definitive about what direction you want to go. You can't just be sitting in school, just taking classes and not knowing what you want to do. And I remember I took some time out one day to just just literally proactively figure out what direction I wanted to go. And I remember I was in Houston driving on 59. And I remember I was just thinking about all the things that really motivate me, what I enjoy to do. What am I passionate about? Um, A lot of my friends, um, we grew up playing basketball and arguing. That's what we did. We any topic, you name it. And I I don't mean just yelling and screaming arguing. I mean, we intellectualize the most mundane aspects of life to to hours into the morning, right? Um, And there was always a very distinctive way about the way that I argued and the way that everybody else argued. Um, And everybody would always point that out. And so I remember I'm driving and I would always I would thrive on those interactions, those things. I love them because it was one me exploring other people's ideas. I love to see how people communicated like I have a good friend of mine. He may not know what the hell he's talking about, but he has this beautiful ability to mix in humor with what he's talking about in order to get the crowd to be on his side about a particular issue Um, and and things of that. And I love seeing those type of tactics um, when it comes to kind of just verbal interactions. Um, and I remember I'm driving down the highway and I'm thinking to myself, like, man, what do I like to do? What do I like to do? But and it clicked. It clicked. I'm like, I like and it sounds so basic, it really does. But it was the truth. I, I thought to myself, man, I love to I love to argue. I love to converse. I love to have discussions about things on, an, on, a, on a most infinite level. Um, so let's go to let's major in poli sci and then go to law school. Um, and you know, from there, I remember calling my mom's my mom's boy- Yeah, very. Um, I remember calling my mom's boyfriend at the time, and he was an attorney. And I remember calling him up, and I'm like, "Are you busy? Can I come to your office? I want to pick your brain about something." And so I went to him, talked to him, and he kind of sat down, and he was just like, you know, he was giving me the reality of it. He didn't feed me BS, which is what I love about him. And um, and I said, "Yeah, this is a, this is this is what I think I really want to do." Um, and then from there, once again, I did a deep sea dive. Like I, I normally do whenever I get into something, um, you know, I started reading book after book. And then I read, I read Johnny Cochran's biography and I'm like, yep, this is, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. And um, that's when I decided, okay, as I got into law school, I'm, I want to go the route of becoming a defense attorney. Well,
1: wow, that's great, man. You got a good story. So if that's mm-hmm. the case, let's just get into the debating part. Cause I'm okay. sure the audience wants to, wants to see that. So one of mm-hmm. your recent videos Uh, You highlighted the fact that uh, in 2018, we had 297 people die from a rifle. Mm -hmm. 235 was from shotguns. Uh, 1,515 was from stabbing. 672 was killed by hands and feet. If 297 is rifle, 235 is shotgun. If we have so many more in stabbings and hands and feet, why are so many folks in uh, D.C., on the left trying to figure out ways to overregulate guns?
0: I think what you have to do is you have to break down the audience. So if you're talking about just a general population of people in the middle who are just regular people and they're not in politics, who, who want to do those things, they have a different motivation. Then you have the people in D.C., as you stated, who have their own motivations. And I think largely the motivation is control. And sometimes that, that, that desire for control is they are serving as almost a proxy Um, for other interests that have a desire for said control. Um, Because what you'll get is you'll get a lot of politicians who are getting money from people like the Bloombergs of the world and so forth and so on, who they've made this issue their thing. This is their life mission so to speak and so when they're responsible for getting them elected in these particular areas in these different races then they can't go against the person who helped them get there in the first place so they're going to push for these types of laws because they want these types of laws but then you also get individuals in positions of power who don't like the idea of the common man having access to the things that they consider to be high power because they like the idea of sitting on this oligarchy or this throne above everybody else because They don't see themselves as our representatives. They see themselves as our leaders. And so you can't just have the common everyday man on the same level of degree of power, so to speak, as you are when it comes to the ability to protect and take life. Because the most most important thing we have and the most valuable thing we have in this world is our life. So from that perspective, I'm somebody who sees myself as above the common man, and I looked down and I was like, "So let me get this straight. You mean to tell me this little plebeian down here can own this AR-15? And if he decides that he wants to come, I don't know, take my life? We're on the same. We're on the same page. No, I want to relegate this person to okay, maybe maybe handguns for now. But even then, I don't really like the handgun stuff either. So I rather them if they're going to protest and they're going to be angry with us, I don't want them showing up to showing up with with uh, rifles and handguns. I want them showing up with rocks and sticks because we have the forces necessary to deal with that." But you're talking about a whole bunch of people that if we do something to them that, we don't, that they don't like collectively, you mean to tell me that they can collectively come together, take up arms, and make a stand? No, 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 no. We can't have that. And so I think that's a motivation for some of those people who are in positions okay. of power.
1: So let's look at the two different sides. I, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you my view of what I see uh, both sides bring in their arguments, and then you give me what else you would add to it and agree, disagree, whatever may, okay. may be added. So, one side, you got the right side. Republicans may say, Look, you can't take my gun. Second Amendment was there not because of, uh, you know, me uh, having a gun to go out there, go, you know, hunting or getting, you know, uh, food. It's more for tyranny in case the government turns against me and I can protect myself against them. So and the AR-15 is one of the best rifles out there. No, AR is not called assault, assault rifle. AR stands for you know what AR stands for. Mm-hmm. So, well, no, it is assault rifle. No, it's not. So why do we need to do background checks? There's no need for a lot of extensive background checks. Why do you need training? If somebody needs to go get a gun today, they should be able to get it. I lived in California and Texas and in Florida. In Texas, I can go buy a gun and leave, and I want it to be that way, right? California mm-hmm. had to wait, I think it was four weeks. I don't know what the exact timeline was, like 30 days or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's this side. On the other side is, Look at all these mass shootings. You know, these people, if they didn't have access to the guns, this would have never happened. Why do you need all these guns anyways? Why do you need these semi-automatic weapons? What's the purpose of it? You make me feel scared by all of you owning so many guns. I think it's better if we become a little bit more responsible. How hard is it to understand this? Why is it so complicated? What else would you add to the arguments of each side?
0: I think, honestly, you've kind of covered it. But overarching, at least on the other side, is fear. It's outright fear. It's, it's this idea because most people don't really think of themselves as being the, de- the protector or the defender. They see themselves as the victim, as a potential victim. So when you only see yourselves as a potential victim, you, what you think to do is, well, let me disarm the potential attacker, not let me empower myself to defend myself against a potential attacker. And so I think for a lot of people on the opposite side who don't want these guns out there, they are overarchingly scared of the potential for people to do something bad to them. And so for me, if I was going to add anything, it's just that overwhelming fear.
1: Okay, so let's add those those in there. Right. Okay, Mm -hmm. so now let's go back to guns. Uh, uh, If they take my guns away from me, let's just say they do take our guns away from us. What can they do to us that they can't do today? So let's actually go there. I'm not telling you this. Okay, is yeah, really yeah, on. Yeah. Please keep in mind, you come to my house. I got, I'm a former military. Oh, yeah. for <laughs> you know my background and you know yeah. my position. But I'm asking, let's go to worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Let's say Beto O'Rourke runs it. He's in charge and he's the guy. And he comes mm-hmm. and he confiscates everything away from you. Forget about registering your guns. Well, let us register. Because if they register, that's phase one. Then it's next one confiscate. I'm just oh, telling which. you, they're going to yeah. come and take everything. Mm-hmm. What's the worst thing they can do to us? After they've taken the guns? They got all the guns. What's the worst thing they can do to us?
0: I don't know. Ask China. You're going that far in. So you're going. Yeah, absolutely. Why why not? Because at that point, what's to stop them? There's nothing to stop them. Everything now at this point is really kind of a negotiation. All the things that they try to make us do now is really kind of a negotiation between them and us. At that point, there's no negotiation. They can just do it. And then if we don't like what they do, at best, they, su- they, they suppress whatever half, half-assed attempt of uprising that goes on and then keep it moving. Isn't that what they did in Hong Kong?
1: So I'm from Iran. And in mm-hmm. Iran, also, you can't have guns. It's just the government and you don't have the guns, right? They have it. You don't have it. Same as China. Same as a lot of different places on that mm-hmm. side. But what is the most valuable thing you and I have? What is the most valuable thing you and I have? If you ask the average person, what would they say? What do you think it is? If we were to say the most valuable thing we have in America? I'm going to say in America, our freedom. Uh, Okay. So let's just say freedom is one, Mm -hmm. uh, which is potentially freedom of what? Free enterprise, freedom of assembly, Mm -hmm. freedom of religion, freedom of a second amendment, freedom, a lot of different freedoms, right? So let's say it's freedom. Let's say it's uh, your voice. Let's say it's your life. Okay. Some may say life is at the top. Some may say freedom's at the top, right? Okay. So... If they take your guns away today, is to do what? To put fear into you that they can't already do to you today anyways, which is what? I mean, y- y- we got a lot of things that we're worried about. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, if the government wants to destroy you, they can silence you. Because we know these uh, uh, big social media companies, they're pretty much virtual governments. You know that. I know that. And mm-hmm. Facebook's a virtual government. Twitter's a virtual gar- government. YouTube's a virtual government. If they even want to turn against one of their own guys, Cuomo, they can do it. They're about to destroy Cuomo. If they want to silence Trump, they can do it. If they want to find you didn't pay $5 in taxes and put you in prison for six months to defame you or hurt you, they can pretty much do that if you think about it. So Mm -hmm. what is more painful that they can already do today that's going to change if they're able to take our guns away from us? What can they do today that they can do then?
0: So here's the thing, though. Everything you, everything, every example that you named was about an individual, right? Yes. Can Me as an individual, could they shut me down? Could they do all the things that you mentioned before? Yeah. Yes. But, but the idea about the Second Amendment is about the collective coming together and stopping an overreaching government from a collective standpoint. And, and what the gun does and allows, what it allows us to do is to serve as a, as a check against a government potentially doing those things. Because a lot of people think, well, you know the government has tanks, they have missiles, they have drones, they have all of these things. So how do you think you're ever going to defeat the government? And it's not necessarily about that specifically. It's a deterrent, because at the end of the day, what's the point of ruling over people you, you've completely destroyed? There's, there's, nothing there for, there's nothing left for you to rule over. So from that perspective, they understand that, like, look, we can only go so far in doing certain things, whether it be, whether it be, like I said, pointing out some of the things that are taking place in places like China. Um, from that perspective, if they try to do that from a wholesale collective standpoint, what you're going to get is you're going to get groups of people coming together to fight back against that. Now, if I'm on my own, I can't one man army it to death. I can't. I'm going to lose that battle every single time, but. As the Second Amendment stated being necessary for the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed based. And people like to say, well, it's based around a militia. Yeah, the militia is consistent of each individual coming together to fight against a potential tyrannical government. And so, yes, individually, they can do a lot of things to me. But when that when what they're when that tyranny starts to become widespread and starts affecting enough people. Having the means and the ability with our firearms to stand up to the government changes the whole dynamic instantly.
1: Yeah, but I don't think they're going to have that fight with you. And, and, mm-hmm. and the reason why I don't think they're going to have that fight with you is because they don't, they don't have to have that fight to beat you and, and beat a party. I mean, look, in one, one day or one, uh, one week, how many millions of uh, uh, users on Twitter, millions of followers disappeared out of nowhere and they were silenced? They could do that in a heartbeat. You know, in one day, how many people on YouTube could be videos being deleted because you have an opposing argument? They can do that. That's not an individual. That's a group, right? Mm -hmm. How many uh, uh, how many people in the state of California have to bow down to what uh, uh, Newsom says or state of New York have to bow down to what Cuomo or de Blasio say on the handling of COVID? You have to do it. That's not an individual. That's a majority. Mm -hmm. So I guess the part where I'm going right now is I think Republicans uh, and the conservatives are fighting a battle with a weapon that is 40 years old and they have to figure out to defend other weapons today, not necessarily the guns, because uh, I don't know if I'm making
0: sense. No, you're 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 making perfect sense, actually. Now, I I, kind of agree and I kind of don't. I think what you're saying is is excellent. And to be honest with you, that's why I'm always pointing out the fact that the fight against with the Second Amendment is a it's a culture war. It's about the culture. And so th- what that does is that seeks to broaden what we're talking about here, because the gun at this point then becomes symbolic and, and as far as being able to protect the freedoms that we currently do have in this country. And so I do agree with you. There are other things that they can do that a gun is not going to necessarily solve in, in the immediate aspect of things. They could silence me. I got suspended on Facebook for 24 hours um, and I have no idea why. And then what's to stop them from just shutting me off completely? and now I've lost my voice and I've lost my platform. But I think at the end of the day, there is a point where things go so far the only thing you have left is to be able to defend your life. and that and, and as, as simplistic and as that is, it's still very fundamental because at the end of the day, the most important thing that I have as a person is is the ability to protect my life
1: uh, the, the, and, and I don't I don't uh, this, just so you know. I'm I'm a guy that hands multiple ARs, several mm-hmm. handguns. I served. Uh, I'm one that came from Iran who believes in freedom of religion. I couldn't go around telling people I'm a Christian. Uh, or my parents couldn't. I was an atheist at the time. Freedom of assembly. I want to be able to talk and give my thoughts. You know, free enterprise. I want to be able to make as much money as I want to make without being judged or controlled. You know, all of these things. And religion and guns is one of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I I think... There are bigger things to worry about today. And by the way, I'm not telling you not fighting for it. I'm not telling yeah, no, argument. Absolutely. So my, my argument isn't the fact that let's yeah. just set it aside. Let it happen and all this other stuff. Who cares? It's not really a big deal. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about character assassination. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about silencing at the highest level. I'm talking about all of those things being an issue today where the energy is being put into somewhere where that weapon is outdated today. It was necessary 50 years ago, but not in 2021. I may be wrong.
0: So I'm kind of talking around something that I haven't wanna delve into specifically because the reason why I hesitate on doing that, ironically enough, is based around the very things you're talking about because they can take what I'm gonna say, flip it and say, I'm inciting this. Because at the end of the day, if it happens to enough people, and enough people are like, I've had enough of it. I've had enough of this, tyrannic- of, of, of this tyrannical government shutting me down on my platforms in order to use my First Amendment rights, shutting me down in my ability to make a living and all of these things. At the end of the day, yes, we can't collectively come out in the streets with guns and make a stand. That's something that's that can be done. So from that perspective. At but the that end did of day, happen. It, it was- <laughs> so that did happen. So that actually did happen. Right. So let's go to.
1: When the, the pr- protesting slash riots happened, but it's peaceful protesting. We know it wasn't mm-hmm. peaceful protesting when the protesting was taking place this summer during COVID mm-hmm. businesses were getting trashed. You saw the 17 year old kids going out there and just protecting themselves and defending businesses. Yeah. Well, you know, the script was flipped and it was look at these, you know, uh, uh, people who are out there, you know, look how they're being raised and they're going around with guns and all this peaceful protesting. No one hears the rhetoric that you're giving. All they see is what's being told on TV. And on TV, it shows that you are radical. You Mm -hmm. are radical, nor you're being painted as a radical individual. You are the radical ones, not all the other folks. And then you go and present yourself in D.C. and say, hey, here's what we're capable of doing. And then you know what comes next. Oh, inciting all this stuff. Then you're turned off. You're silenced. Now what? So all'm t- all I'm talking about uh, is strategically is all, all i'm talking about. you got money here right that's being put into different uh, uh, uh issues gun rights and gun control. from 1990 election cycle through December of 2019, gun rights and gun control interest groups reported the following political contributions to federal candidacy total contribution gun rights 44 million total gun, uh, gun uh, uh, contribution gun control 9.3 million. Donations by Democrats, four million. Donations by Republicans, thirty-nine million. But donations. So you look at these numbers, you're like, okay, money's being invested in certain areas. Mm -hmm. Democrats, quite frankly, are not really putting that much money in gun control. Republicans are putting forty-five million. Democrats are putting only nine million. Republicans are putting five times more into the gun issue than Democrats are. Right. But what are Democrats quietly doing? They're getting their base and their voice and their audience to get louder to control what you can and can't say. The more they do that, even a great argument loses to one who has more eyeballs. Don't you agree?
0: Yeah. But see, and they and they, and they can afford to spend less on the gun issue because they already have the bullhorn. That's right. And, and so and that's part of the reason why I try to couch my discussion under the guise of it. It's not a guise. It is as a as a cultural war, because that's essentially what it is. It's a cultural war against the ownership of firearms, because what people one thing that I will say about me and my journey with respect to firearms, the firearm was a catalyst for a lot of other things for me that were in mm-hmm. positive, because it was I remember when I first got my ability to conceal carry. I'm a license to conceal carry my firearm. And it was at that moment that I realized the only person responsible for my safety is me. That's the person I can't rely on anybody else. It's going to be me. And so that mindset in and of itself starts to trickle into other aspects of your life, whether it be business, whether it be the way you handle your relationships. That is a that is a freedom, self-sustaining mindset that honestly does not bode very well for a particular group of political class who base their entire ideology on the prominence of government and the dependency on said government. Because when you have people who think from an independent mindset, it's harder to get them to lean and depend on a bigger government. We have a problem with that. And It's because they generate so much of their money, so much of their influence from having a bigger government. Well, they're going to do everything in their power from a cultural perspective. To tell you how much you don't need those things. They understand what the firearm does symbolically to a person and how it changes their mindset in a manner that is actually positive, contrary to what a lot of people think, who thinks it's pretty much for the negative. And I'm a walking, talking example of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, (laughs) we need a hundred of you. We need a thousand of you. You know, we need people that are putting this argument out there for others to sit there and say, like, even when Bill Maher talked to you, Bill Maher was like, he was a little bit more subtle. He wasn't challenging you. He wasn't mm-hmm. pushing you. And then you almost sat there and said, well, first of all, I respect you. The, reason, the only reason why he wouldn't push you harder is probably because he didn't research the topic enough to be able to have the data to debate you. So it's like, look, this is not really my deal. I just kind of, yeah. I'm looking at, and he just kind of let you do your part. I'm like, yeah. wow, even a Bill Maher, who is a guy that's got strong opinions about religion, about God, about a lot of different things. He himself hasn't done a lot of research on gun rights and Second Amendment and the reasons behind it. So but let's, let's take a Let's go a different angle here with guns. Just curious about okay. this. So I went in the army. Uh, I went through boot camp. I had never shot a semi-automatic weapon before, whether it's a saw, whether it's an AR-15, whether it's a M60, whatever it is that we had to shoot mm-hmm. up. right? And we had a great time doing that. When I did, I'm like, wow, this is pretty ridiculous. But I'm glad I had somebody that was telling me, OK, put your nose here when you're going through with look like, and when you are you know, pulling, with just the basic stuff they're telling yeah. you, right? Yeah. Do you do you think the argument on the left makes sense to say, why don't we at least get more people who are buying guns to be more trained rather than me as a rookie can go buy a gun today and walk away 30 minutes later? Don't we need to have more necessary training for guns? Because if I can, I can't get a driver's license with some kind of permit training that I do at least a certain amount of hours. Why don't we do the same with gun ownership?
0: Okay, I have no problem with that. And I've been, that's actually an argument that I've made multiple times. Instead of, and that's like I have a, like part of my merchandising, and I have one of the messages we have is defund gun control. And, and the basis behind that is this if you look at the number of people that die each year from a firearm and you break it down, right, 60, 65 to 60% of those people are suicides. Then you have the remaining, which are actual homicides. And that makes up 80% of the remaining deaths. And then you have 5%. Um, yeah, I think it's about like 5% that are accidents. And then you have, or I think it's 15% that are accidents. And then the 5% are like police shootings and so forth and so on. And so we go through each one of these things and we start addressing the overall issues. So let's take the accidents, for instance. We can cut the number of firearm accidents in half purely based on education, purely based on education. Like you mentioned, he was like, Bill Maher hadn't even done extensive research on his own. And he was having a conversation on a national platform. And a lot of the accidents that you see are born by way of people who don't really understand firearms. Then you talk about, let's say, the, uh, let's say the remaining homicides, which are uh, largely about 80% of those is, is gang and drug violence that takes place in our inner cities, in very specific areas, and in even in very specific areas within those areas, right? Down to certain blocks and certain streets. So clearly, that's not a gun issue. That's a socioeconomic issue that's gone awry. So a lot of the things that we that, that we can do with respect to decreasing the number of gun deaths in this country can be done by way of education. So instead of spending the millions of dollars that we spend trying to pass law, trying to convince you why you don't need this killing death machine, all that money that we're spending to do that, why not take that money and put it towards educating the masses of people who live in a country that have close to over 400 million guns in it? Like it boggles my mind. But no, they rather spend the millions to try to convince you that you don't need the gun in the first place, while nothing changes. None of the laws that they're passing is going to do anything to actually cause these gun deaths to go down. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think we should spend our time, our money, and our resources to educate the population about guns, especially considering we're one of the few countries, exceedingly few countries that has the right to firearm ownership the way that we do. So I think it should be done problem is we spend too much time talking about laws that further restrict the right that actually don't or won't do anything to actually mitigate the gun deaths that we do have in this country
1: well i think i think if it was a if it was a uh, you know if they raise the money with permits that we pay for people would pay for permits
0: 60 bucks 40 bucks 20 bucks 80 bucks i mean why not people, the government why wouldn't the government subsidize it why not why mean, wouldn't they subs- let
1: the let the individuals train it not even having a government doing it Some, you know
0: Well, no, I'm saying if the government's going to require, so I'm against, I'm actually against government mandated training in order to get the ability to own a firearm. And a lot lot of people don't understand why, and I'll explain it. The reason why I don't want the government to do it is because we've already have, it's already been demonstrated that there are, there's a huge aspect of people in the government who don't want us to have these things to begin with. So what I'm not going to do is rely on the good faith of those people in power to come up with a system that would allow me to then inevitably own a gun. I just I don't agree with it because what they'll do is they'll they'll steadily start to increase the requirements with when respect. I get it.
1: When I get it, when I get my hours for driving, who am I mm-hmm. paying? Is it a
0: government organization or private? Uh I'm assuming it's in order to get the license or the actual no, no, training. You,
1: you know how you go get your mm-hmm. permit and you're yeah. paying somebody that's mm-hmm. private, right? It's not yeah, it's it, not you're a- paying
0: paying privately. Yes. Yeah. So I would do yeah. the
1: same thing. Have it private, like a retired E8, you know, retired mm-hmm. E9, a retired E seven. He starts a business. And here's what he does, and let him take
0: some. Yeah, of the but piece. the thing is, the standards that are put out in order, to, in order that you have to meet right. in order to get that license is is placed is is presented by way of the government.
1: And they can they, keep they changing say, that, and they mm. can keep changing that criteria. And uh, yeah. okay, I mean, I can. The only thing is, for me, like for me, do you think it's okay for me to be able to go get a gun, leave five minutes later, mm-hmm. no background check, extensive? No necessary lengthy. Let me see if this guy's going through a bad breakup right now, bad divorce right now. He found his uh, daughter with someone, wife with someone, girlfriend with someone. He wants to retaliate. Let's give this guy one week. You don't think there's a challenge with that?
0: I don't agree with that at all because I can I can also demonstrate examples where you have individuals who were waiting for a firearm and waiting, like for instance, in New Jersey, you have a woman by the name of Carabone. And she was killed by her ex, she was stabbed to death by her ex boyfriend. She had a restraining order against her ex boyfriend, and he was a felon. And she knew he was going to try to kill her one day. So she submitted her application in order to get, because in New Jersey, you have to get a license in order to own a gun. And so she submitted her, her paperwork in order to get the license. But in New Jersey, because the, the people in power in New Jersey, the Cory Bookers of the world, whenever he was mayor of New Jersey, uh, They don't actually they sit on it. They take their sweet time and and they do everything in their power to make it as hard and as lengthy as a process as possible in order for you to get a license just to own a gun. We're not even talking about the ability to carry it. And she was stabbed in a driveway of her own home. So from that perspective, I, I disagree with it because this woman actually called in and said, hey, I'm just checking on the status of my license in order for me to go buy a gun and they still hadn't done it yet. And they were above and beyond the 30 day requirement that they were supposed to have in order to process her paperwork and give her approval. And so as a result of that, when the time came and her ex-boyfriend showed up to stab at her to death, she was in a position no longer to defend herself at that point. And so that's why, so for me, I'd rather err on the side of empowering people to be able to defend themselves as fast as possible than to, I don't want to say create an anecdotal situation where you have an individual who immediately goes out and says, well, I want to go kill a bunch of people. I'm going to go out and buy a gun and do it. Because if we're going to be honest, one, the examples of those that actually exist are relatively few, are at least provable. And two, in the events, the most of the times that people are looking to do something that, that immediacy, they're going to buy the gun illegally anyway. Well, let, me,
1: let me ask you this question. Here, here's mm-hmm. a question for you. What, what would make America safer? Okay. Mm-hmm. of America who has license to carry or 99% of America who doesn't own a piece of gun, not, not a single gun.
0: I'd say the former. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've asked that. I've asked the question before on my show. I said, I call it the big red button question. I said, what if you live in a world where if you push through, you had a red button right here. If you push this red button, all the guns disappear. Would you, or would you not push the button? And people when they ask me, would I push the button? I'd say no. And the reason why I wouldn't push the button is because that button doesn't remove guns are not violence. Guns are a tool that is utilized by people who want to commit violence. And so from that perspective, I wouldn't push that button because, sure, I mean, I do. I've done a little MMA. You know, I work out. I try to take care of myself. So a couple of guys show up and try to do harm to me. I could probably take care of myself. But what about my mom? What about my grandmother? What about people who are more vulnerable, who are in positions who will legitimately become targets because they are seen as weaker? I think a world where we don't have those firearms, I believe the criminals will become more emboldened.
1: That's what they call the great equalizer, you know, the great equalizer would uh, allow a grandma or a woman to be safe going up against a guy who is twice her size saying, hey, if you want to do anything, you know, I don't want any problems. Can you just leave my house? Exactly. And uh, do do you think the argument of of, uh, getting rid of guns, gun control, do you think it's creating more momentum today or do you think it's actually losing momentum as an argument?
0: Man, I struggle with this so much because. I know there's so much missing, like, prior to us coming, prior to me coming on here, I was working on a video response um, to a, a guy's name. I think his name, his name is Igor Volsky or something like that. And he's the executive director of a, a group called Guns Down America. Um, and they 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 basically stopped short of saying they want to ban all guns, but that's essentially what they want to do. Um, and he did a video titled Three Myths About Guns, About Gun Control. And he went on and talked about how the Republicans got up and lied about this bill that just passed the House with respect to um, universal background checks. And I see these things and, you know, it was placed under uh, this is politics now. And they have a million followers. Um, and there, I know there are tons of people who are going to see this video who don't know anything about guns to begin with. And then they're going to get this information and they're going to be misled about the truth of it. So then, my little black ass has to come up here, put together a video to counter that information with objective information. Um, But then I I do I do great numbers, but I don't know if I can outdo the a platform like this is now, and then all of the other platforms that have millions of followers, and then you have a ton of celebrities who are anti-gun, openly anti-gun about things. Um, Like, how do I combat that? And so, but then there's another argument that says, well, when you tell people what they can't have, they want it more right so when you have joe biden get up there and saying that he wants he wants to ban ar-15s and he wants to have uh buy uh buyback programs for those ar-15s to have you turn them in or register them and so forth and so on i can see how that can then cause an effect where people want to go out and say you know what no i'm going to go and buy these things um but more than that what i think really did it honestly was COVID. i think COVID was the biggest driver largely because it forced people to confront their vulnerability in a way that they never really had to before. And with respect to their dependency on the government, I am not anti-government. I'm just limited government. I just like my government to be as big as it technically kind of has to be in order to get certain things done, but I still want it as small as possible. And so what I think it happened is when, when you were seeing people get up there, I mean, yeah, people in Dallas, they our leaders in Dallas saying, you know, cops aren't gonna be coming out for certain phone calls. Right. Um, And then they were seeing the mayhem that was going on in the streets. You had literally whole sections of Seattle being taken over by people. So when people started to see this and they realized, no, I can't just pick up the phone and call the cops and say, hey, come here and deal with this problem. You don't have Uber Eats protection on demand. And so they're like, you know what? I got to I got to learn to do this myself, kind of like me when who uh, Yes, I am the son of an executive chef, but I am not a cooker. (laughs) <laughs> but when Uber Eats stops wo- stops working for a couple of days and I can't order food, guess what I'm gonna have to do? I'm gonna have to learn how to cook. That's right. And so, I, and so, a lot of people realize immediately. You, oh wow, like I'm on my own here. Even people who are radically anti-gun, because that reality trumped any ideology that they may have. I, I hate the fact that the whole firearm conversation is even politicized. Should not be politicized. It shouldn't but it is. The fact that it's so cleanly divided down the middle between Democrats and Republicans or liberals versus conservatives is insane to me, but here we are and it is what it is. So to answer your question in short, I think it does a little bit of both. I, I, think, I think some of the rhetoric causes people to buy guns, but then I think more so it, it, it misinforms people and causes them to vote for things that I think are to their disadvantage with respect to the issue of guns in this country because they don't know. There are so many people who literally think we don't have background checks for guns because of the way that they talk about background checks, because there's a distinction between background checks and universal background checks. A lot of people don't know that. But when they do a poll, they don't ask, are you in favor of universal background checks? No, they say, are you in favor of background checks? It's like, well, yeah, I'm in favor of background checks. But the issue isn't that simplistic. It's complicated for a reason. The reason why they call it like to call it a loophole. It's not a loophole. It was purposely designed not to include this segment of gun buyers purposefully. But they don't they don't say it like that. And so it's these people who become misinformed on the issue and then have a false sense of information when they come and talk to someone like me about the issue. And so then I have to almost kind of re-educate, then rehab that conversation.
1: Yeah, where I'm going with this is the following. Here's where I'm going with this Mm -hmm. is uh, I don't think they're making momentum and I don't think it's going to be something that's going to happen. I think people are buying more guns right now than ever before. The other day I was with uh, a friend who just recently bought Remington. He bought the Mm -hmm. whole Remington brand in in November because they Mm -hmm. were going through some challenges and him and a group of investors came and bought it. And I was looking at a, uh, you know, um, you know, what was it? A, 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 a RM 2.1. I don't know what it was. I think it's a 21. It was, you know, massive, massive, you know, uh, Remington uh, rifle that he had. And he brought it on and showed it to us like for five, four or $5,000. Yeah. Beautiful thing. I took a picture with, that. I posted it on Instagram. I don't think, you know, they're making <laughs> momentum in the gun side. But what mm-hmm. I do think they are doing is. I think they're sitting there saying, oh, these guys, they think this is all about guns. This has got nothing to do with guns. While you're defending your gun argument that we are still controlling you with that argument for the last 50 years, Mm -hmm. we are over here passing other kind of laws that's allowing us to control you even more. So you can win the gun argument. We'll let you feel like you're winning constantly every year. But we keep passing our agenda on the other side. Whether it's Marxist, socialist, whatever you want to talk about it, Mm -hmm. we're making progress here. You keep your guns. We'll make the progress here, because at the end of the day, come 20, 30, 40 years from now, we really don't care if you keep your guns. We just care that you don't keep your voice. You can have all your guns you want. We'll keep the voice, and we'll pass all the regulations and laws and policies that we want to pass. I mean, just yesterday, you know, this came up this weekend. Janet Yellen mm-hmm. is uh, uh, wanting G20 uh, to agree to come up with a identical corporate tax rate. Around the world, so America cannot have any competition with businesses wanting to leave U.S. to another country, so they have to pay less taxes. And these countries are like, "What the hell are you talking about? We want that competition, but they're convincing others how some of their policies may be the right thing to be a globalist. You know, you know obviously you know this as much as I do, because you, probably better than I do, because this is the world you're constantly researching and, and, and going through. But I think it's bigger than guns to them. I think they're given this one victory to win in five other places. I may be wrong, but that's what I think. What do you think?
0: I agree with you, but I think to a certain extent. I think at a certain point, they can only do so much. They can't, if, they're, if, they're, if their goal, right, is this kind of Marxist utopia or this socialist utopia, socialism can only go so far with an armed community of people or an armed population of people. Because if, if if you really think about it, name one socialist country where the vast majority of the population is armed. I don't think you'll be able to find one.
1: But I don't think they care if you want a gun. I think because, they do too. The, go ahead. I don't think guns are guns are a big deal anymore nowadays. I'm telling you, I I don't think like like let me let me put it to you this way. Like, let's just say I'm the nerd. Mm-hmm. You bullied me in high school.
0: Mm-hmm. You have
1: a hundred M16s in your house, you have a hundred thousand rounds, you have all that shit. I'm a hacker. I will ruin your life if I'm, mm-hmm. it's, there's different ways to beat you today. Weapons have changed in the last
0: 10, 20, 30 years. And the one they, thing. And, go ahead. But the one thing about a firearm is it's analog. And, and what I mean by that is this. Is there a stopping point with the level of oppression that you get with socialism? Is there this? Is there? Where is the Where is the stopping point that says, all right, we're this. We're just going to oppress you up until this point. This is the only point we're going to oppress you. There, there is no stopping point. It's, it's power consumes unlimitedly from that perspective. So if you, yeah, you could ruin my life and you could ruin millions of other people's lives by way of use, utilizing technology, shutting my voice down. But then it, at, at the end of the day, it all comes back to one fundamental aspect. You piss off enough people, you're going to get an aggregation of people coming you're together to, to do something about I'll
1: it. I'll put you in jail. You can't, put, every,
0: can't put everybody in jail.
1: But, but, but it's not gonna <laughs> be everybody though. It's not gonna be everybody. Look, well, see. I, I, you have to know, I'm not, we're on the same team. I'm not mm-hmm. at all on a team that you're not. The only thing I'm on is, uh, these guys are over guns. Democrats are over guns. Democrats have figured out a way to beat you in ways that they're not even thinking about. Like, Listen, to have all of that. You, you know, it, it, there used to be a time, there used to be time where, you know, me being big and strong mattered. Look how strong mm-hmm. I am. No one cares today. Honestly, Body you, you take a guy, how many of these videos have you seen, a bodybuilder who benches six plates, goes and fights a 160-pound jiu-jitsu guy. The jiu-jitsu guy embarrasses the guy. It's like, wait a minute, I'm mm-hmm. tapping out, right? Mm-hmm. So then the jujitsu guy, as good as he may be, he goes up with a girl who's 16 years old, five one, 110 pounds with a gun, the jiu-jitsu guy gets killed. Now, the, the girl with the 5-1 gun goes up against a person who's a, a, in a basement, access to all the social media, and is able to pull off your pictures off your phone and mm-hmm. post it all over social media to embarrass you. That person's... So, so the levels of weaponizing has advanced so much that if the Republican Party wants to have control and their voice long-term, they have to put just as much energy into having their voices being heard and not being silenced as it is to keep th- background checks out.
0: I think I think the goal with the silencing of the voice is so that they inevitably can get to the guns. And here's why. They would have to scare enough of the population in order for them to hand them in. I, I always say this is they're not going to come door to door. They're not. What they'll do is they'll say, hey, we're going to make an example out of some people and scare you into turning your firearms in. Sure. And, and so and then to address another aspect of what you said, the reason why I disagree with the aspect of that, disagree with the notion that they are over guns is because if they were, there wouldn't be so much energy being committed to the disinformation to the pushing all the money spent to get some of these politicians in place who talk about who spat about um oh we're going to do this about gun control and we're going to fight this with respect to the nra and so forth and so on it, it begs the question why then so why so much energy geared towards undermining the second amendment if that's the case
1: it's been done for a long time it's a distraction mm-hmm. court okay. it's it's very easy to distract you hey I'm gonna fight this battle here, but I'm taking money away from you here, influence over here. But this is what I'm interested in. But I'm not really interested in this because I'm, hey guys, go go go! But here, Mm -hmm. this is where. I mean, this has been going on for uh, hundreds of years. It's it's a Napoleon did it, Mussolini did it. A lot Mm -hmm. of great generals and warriors have done it. Sun Tzu talked about it. Anybody and and everybody that's in the military talked about this.
0: If that's the case, they've been distracting for a very 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 long time.
1: Well, America's a baby though. You have to realize America's only 240 some years old. It's not which is very true. It's not America's not a, it's it sometimes we forget, like, oh, you know, like first I came to the States, they're like, this building here has been here for 128 years. I'm like, are these guys really bragging about this? <laughs> we go to a tour in Iran, they would say, This building here has been here for 3,200 years. Oh, yeah. wow, it's an old building. So yeah. America's a baby. America, uh, 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 politically, look, I think if there's a battle between Republicans and Democrats. If there's a battle between Republicans and Democrats, Mm -hmm. Republicans are getting schooled right now.
0: Absolutely. I agree with you. If it's a battle
1: between the two, you got schooled. You took your money and invested it in all this stuff because you wanted to be quiet and libertarian. They bought media companies. Twitter was on sale. You could have bought it. You never bought it. No problem. They bought Time magazine. They bought Washington Post. The other day I was pitching why Elon Musk should buy CNN. Mm -hmm. I sent, I sent a a few thousand people went online tweeting at Elon Musk. Why don't you buy CNN? Because at least Elon Musk is where? Right in the middle. If Bezos is buying a post, why don't you go buy CNN? Let's see what you do to CNN. I bet the content will probably change. I bet half the staff may get fired. But at the same time, CNN was created by a guy who was an entrepreneur. Ted Turner had a good motive to do that. So again, I think, I think they're playing a better strategic game than Republicans. And I think Republicans are kind of being schooled right now.
0: I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I do. I will say this much though. So with respect to the bullhorn, right? With respect to the platforms and having the voices that we have, I think. But for the internet, I think our Second Amendment rights would literally be cut in half. I think. I think the Second Amendment that we understand it to be today, as of right now, would be fifty percent gone at best. I disagree. And and I disagree. and and the reason why I think that it hasn't been that. Yeah. It's, because, it's because of the internet and social media. I was and, gonna
1: say, have yeah. you been censored at all or not? has your channel at all been censored or not really?
0: So yes and no. I can't really put a pulse on how, how cohesive they are about trying to censor me, if at all. But there, I mean, I do run into issues with respect to the, the gun side of things. Let's take for instance, my, my channel. There are people who have the same size channel as me and they're millionaires but i'm not going to get that because i'm so censored with respect to the subject matter um and so,
1: so meaning meaning to so the viewer who doesn't know the 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 company that typically advertises on all these other uh, channels they won't on yours because you're talking about guns so 80% of companies can't advertise on your channel
0: yeah and so Got and it. as and as it's a so result and as a result of lack of those advertisements there's no benefit for them to push my push my my content so <laughs> they'll so they will shadow ban it or or, or artificially limit the reach on that particular content, sense. and so that's that's maybe that. you need more uh, cat videos. Maybe you
1: do more cat videos. <laughs> you know, I more- just
0: I just thought my sexy chocolatey goodness would have done it. But <laughs> <laughs> like it hasn't been know, working. I think
1: I think you are making a positive impact, and you're very necessary. And I think the world needs you. And quite frankly, indirectly, I applaud YouTube for letting you do what you do, even to have a platform to have a quarter of a billion views. Because a quarter of a billion views is a lot of influence. If you're doing a quarter of a billion views, you got a lot of influence, and you're on your way to going over a billion views, you'll be a 10 million subscriber channel in no time. Now keep- I'm just glad. I'm just glad they keep guys like you around mm-hmm. to keep the argument on the other side. And you're kind of tough to do anything to because you're a lawyer, you're you know, you have like all the things going uh-huh. on where they're kind of like, what do we do with him?
0: Well, they ignore they ignore me. Yes. yes. And I, and I remember I was on Joe Rogan and I was telling him about that. I was telling him about a, a piece on um, what's the guy's name? I forgot his name um, on, on the Comedy Central. Uh, either way, he did a 20 minute expose on NRA TV when I had when I was and I had John, show. Oliver? John Oliver. There we go. Yeah. And so and I taught and I told Joe, I was like, look, man, I was like, I think he ignored me on purpose. He did a 20 minute expose expose on that on that platform and didn't mention me once but I'm driving all of the audience. I am, I am I literally, my numbers were driving all the audience to the platform. So there's no way you do it and just don't know about me. So if you don't talk about me, you're not talking about me on purpose. And Joe said, and I, and I, and I agreed. you know what, you might be right. I said, you know, Joe was like, you know, maybe because he didn't think any of the content you were creating was problematic or goofy because he was making fun of it. And so he's like, that's probably why he didn't mention you. The problem with that is Bloomberg did a piece where they literally talked about the platform as well, to the same extent, didn't mention me once. And they weren't talking about it from, oh, this is goofy content. They were talking about the ideology on the platform, which is two A. Didn't mention me once. And what I think and I think what they understand is this. You take my content and you put it in front of anybody who's being objective. At bare minimum, you'll walk away and saying, I can see some of his points. I can see some of his points. You can't caricaturize me as this super crazy extremist who doesn't know what he's talking about and just surface level language, talking about red meat stuff and just tossing it out to his audience. You can't do that to me. Exactly. And so they know it's better to keep the light off of him as much as possible than to shine a light on him, even if it's from an attacking standpoint, because they've tried it. They tried it. They tried to dox me. They've tried to go in my background. I, I guess I'm a lane because I don't really have, a I don't have a criminal history. So there's nothing, there's nothing there that you can get me on unless they're going to send a honeypot to my room and then recording me to me or something. But other than that, there's not, there's nothing there. I've dedicated myself to this. So I'm, I'm just assuming, and I'm going and this is stuff that people have told me because as confident as I am, I don't want to think, I don't think I'm just that important that they're going to go out of the way to create a structure to figure out a way to take me down. But some people have let it be known. They think they feel like, well, no, because the more light they shine on you, whether they're attacking you or not, the more people see you, and they need less people to see you as much as
1: possible. Yeah, but they they can't they listen. <laughs> they can't stop that right now. You ain't going away, man. You're 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 young. <laughs> you're great communicator. You're charming. You're smart. You're intellectual. You can make good arguments. You're you know you have a background. You got a story. You got an interesting story. The story is an anomaly where it's not like you were raised by hardcore Christian conservative (laughs) that your mom always voted for the right and she loved Ronald Reagan and whispered to you about Ronald Reagan growing up. No, you're an anomaly. So
0: my mom still kind of is little iffy on what I do, to be honest with you. She's kind of like, uh, I mean, I read the one part when
1: when you were like, I'm worried about if I tell my mom I have guns, she's going to think I'm a gangster. You know, know,
0: the whole thing that you you, you talked about.
1: But look, look, man, I got to tell you, I'm glad I had you on. I'm glad the audience got a chance to get to know you. Highly recommend everybody go check out his YouTube channel. We're going to put the link below. Go follow his stuff. Go subscribe to his channel. Uh, Please continue to make great content. Continue to make great content because the rest of the world is watching you, whether you know it or not. It's not just that camera on you. It's hundreds of millions that are watching your stuff. Thank you so much for coming down and being a guest on Valley Tim. And I appreciate you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you very much, Patrick. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Absolutely.
1: What are your thoughts on gun control or gun rights? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Comment below. I want to hear from you. Also, if you enjoyed this interview, i got two other videos I want you to watch. One is with Sammy de on on what he said about gun control when he and I sat down. And the other one is my sit down with Mike Ritland, former Navy SEAL, who he gave his opinions on Biden's stance regarding Second Amendment. Having said that, take care, everybody.
0: Bye-bye.